Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you is a great chasm is established, to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours, or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, O no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Due to the fact that I, being a person who, as you've probably noticed, does not take notes for his homily, I'm kind of a little bit scatterbrained, to be honest, as I was preparing for this homily, because there was a couple of different details that I was kind of debating which one was the one I should focus on for my homily. So, of course, being me, I decided to do perhaps both. At least I'll try. But as we see in today's gospel, there is one detail that is rather interesting to me if you observe what actually happens. And it's rather prideful on the part of this rich man. So not only during his lifetime does he refuse to give anything to Lazarus, who has sores, poor, and never receives anything from the rich man's table, but even as they go into eternity, this rich man still clings to his pride, even from hell. How can I tell? Well, it's because whenever he cries out to Father Abraham, he doesn't cry out and say, Abraham, come here and help me. No, once again, he demands that Lazarus be subservient to him. He demands that Lazarus is the one that comes, dips his finger, and comes to hell to help him out. He doesn't beg for mercy. He doesn't beg for forgiveness. He doesn't even beg to come to the other side. He begs for Lazarus to be lowered to his level. His pride extends even to that moment, even to hell. And I think this is important for us to reflect upon, because ultimately our actions ripple into eternity. Our actions ripple into eternity. The way in which we behave in this life does have an impact on our next life. It has an impact. And it is important for us to reflect upon that, because I think many people today assume everyone's just going to heaven willy-nilly. That's the way it is. But our Lord's words again and again contradict that. 
A few weeks ago, we heard in the gospel that ultimately many will fall aside as they strive to enter through the narrow gate, and only a few. And again, our Lord will, at the end of Matthew's gospel, proclaim that he will divide the sheep from the goats. Again and again, he uses language that makes it very clear that one's actions in time, one's actions in this life, have an impact on our eternity. And so, I want to remind you of that. Why? One, for your own good. For your own good, because, yes, our actions ripple into eternity. But God is mercy. And here at Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Lord's heart is merciful. But we must ask for that mercy. Do we run to that little room back there where we have confessions? We run there to ask the Lord to forgive our sins and to help us and give us the grace necessary to overcome them. Do we throw ourselves upon that mercy or do we just take it for granted? We must remind ourselves that in this life, the Lord, yes, obviously forgives our trespasses, but only when we ask and only when our heart is disposed towards him. And I think this is where we can understand the church's teaching on purgatory as one of mercy. People think it's old-fashioned, outmoded, or whatever. But the reality is, purgatory is a sign that God gives us a chance to turn and gives us the opportunity to purify ourselves even after death. So he is still a merciful God, that even if we don't have it all figured out by the time we reach the end of our lives, if we were disposed towards him, if we were still inclined enough towards him in, our li- in this life, he'll help to purify us of our sins and also through the prayers of our family members, our friends, and those who pray for us, to bring us to the other side, to bring us to where Lazarus is comforted. And this is the comforting thing. Lazarus, who received what was bad in his life, is consoled. Each of us bear so much. Each of us has to suffer in our own ways. The loss of loved ones, the different interior struggles we all have, illness, misfortune, whatever it may be. This life can be oftentimes hard and seemingly unfair. But another thing that comes out in this gospel is that we are consoled. That if we trust in the Lord's mercy, because if you notice, we don't hear a single word from Lazarus and before at all throughout the gospel, but in particular, before he dies. He does not seem to have held a grudge against the rich man for not having extended his hand and generosity towards him. He seems to have borne patiently the wrongs that were given to him. And as a result, the Lord rewarded him. We too are asked to bear our wrongs with patience. It is one of the spiritual works of mercy. And it is a lost art. It is something that convicts me again and again in the prayer. How often I whine and moan to the Lord. How often I whine and moan to others about my woes. But what the Lord shows us in today's gospel is that we will be consoled. The promise of heaven is not the opium of the masses, but instead it is the affectionate reality of a loving father who has a balm and a healing remedy for our broken world, which is eternity. And so I think it's important for us to also remember that. Because then, even the promise of heaven, you may think like, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Like, wouldn't everybody turn? And one of the other interesting things about this gospel is if you notice, 
This poor man, the man who was starving, rippled with sores, is named Lazarus. And so whenever the rich man says, oh, send him to my brothers, and, you know, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. He said, oh, no, if someone rises from the dead, they will surely listen to him. And Abraham says, not even if someone rises from the dead, will they listen to him. These words are not meant simply as like, don't worry about it, they're not going to turn. But it's also something that actually literally happens in the Gospels. And Jesus addresses this parable to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees will be the ones who, who dies in the Gospels that Jesus raises, Lazarus. Lazarus literally dies. Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. And you know what the response of the Pharisees was? They tried to kill him again. Because they're afraid that people having seen that Lazarus was dead and now is alive, that people will begin to follow Jesus. They see him as a threat to their power. And so we see that in the Gospels, there actually is someone who's raised from the dead, and they still don't listen. So Abraham's words are prophetic. Jesus' words in this Gospel are prophetic. That even after he rises from the dead, they will try to spread lies. His disciples came and took him in the night. Even despite the resurrection, people still do not believe. And that's a mystery, and that's something that's rather, well, disconcerting and concerning. Because we need to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Because if we don't, Paul tells us that our faith is actually in vain. If Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. That is what he tells the Corinthians in his first letter. The resurrection from the dead truly happened. It's a real event in history. And it's also our destiny. For those of us who believe, repent, and turn to the Lord, it's a reality. It's a reality that is promised to us as well. That we one day will too share in that same resurrection. That we too will share in our Lord's inheritance from his heavenly Father, who will give us more than we could ever imagine. That is ultimately what this gospel is about. It's about eternity. It's that after death, there is something. And that we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. Heaven is for real. Purgatory is for real. And yes, that dirty H word, hell, is for real. We need to live our lives in such a way that we turn to the Lord again and again. Because he is a loving father. He is a merciful father. But if we take it for granted, if we take it for granted, do we really want to be there? And I think that's the important thing, too. Again, the rich man didn't ask to go to the other side. He clearly has no desire to change his spot. He doesn't want to go somewhere where the poor are treated like the rich. He doesn't want to go somewhere where Lazarus is equal or perhaps even above him. He would rather live in his pride. It is his choice. It is his decision. And it is to our decision. It is our decision to turn to the Lord, one that he presents to us day after day and gives us the opportunity. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he'll even let you choose against him. That he'll give you the opportunity to choose him. 
And it is a beautiful gift that we have from the Lord. You are to be held at the bosom of Abraham, the bosom of our Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. God treasures you that much. That is how much he wants to be with you, and that is the comforting image that needs to be impressed upon your heart. That he wants to draw close to you, and you want, he wants you to draw close to him. So take heart, little ones. The Lord loves you so very much. He wants to draw you closer and closer to his heart, so you might be united with him for all of eternity, to be consoled, comforted, and loved.